This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I tried this recently after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes of this, and usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks. As a coach or an athlete, you will not find a better product that focuses on the essential electrolytes your body needs during competition. Element has become a staple in my own training and something we are excited to offer our coaches and student athletes as well. Element is used by military special forces teams, Team USA Weightlifting, at least five NFL teams, and more than half the NBA. You can try it risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. They have extremely low return rates. Element came up with a very special offer for you as a listener to this podcast. For a limited time, you can claim a free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. For U.S. customers, this means that you can receive an eight-count sample pack for only $5. Simply go to drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. That's drinklmnt.com slash justinclimo to claim your free eight-count sample pack. Drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. Cypress Grove Studios is supported by the Canyon Properties Group, the number one real estate team in Pebble Beach and Carmel, California. They specialize in ocean and golf front properties and have been leading the industry for over 35 years. If you've ever played golf in Pebble Beach or taken a run along Carmel Beach, you've definitely seen their listings. As their team has grown, they've expanded into dramatic ocean view homes in the Carmel Highlands, and most recently into the Santa Lucia Preserve, which encompasses about 10,000 acres with just 300 home sites, a Tom Fazio golf course, and over 100 miles of private trails. If you're looking for a seasonal getaway or interested in moving here full-time, be sure to reach out to Jess Canyon. I've known Jess for several years and have learned how complicated and diverse properties are in this area. She'll help you dial in the search to find what you're looking for, and like every great team, they focus on the details, execute at every step, and work as a group to provide the best value for each of their clients. For more information about the team and to check out their current listings, please visit www.canningproperties.com slash ysports. Once again, that's www.canningproperties.com slash ysports. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Y Sports, a podcast designed to highlight the value of athletics as a foundation for any career path. Through interviews with professionals across industries, we discuss the impact of being part of a team, competition, learning to fail, and how those lessons transcend athletics into the workplace. Join us as we explore the importance of sports as professional development while our guests share what they have learned throughout their career. I'm your host, Justin Clarno. Welcome back to Y Sports. We are here today with Wells Adams, radio host, podcast host, reality TV bartender, and jack of all trades. Wells, appreciate you coming on today. Super excited to talk about the peninsula and all things sports. Love it. Thanks for having me, man. Yes, let's dive in. So I am curious, as a radio host, podcast host, someone that professionally 
engages in conversations, puts media content out there for others, and, and generally brings attention to the creativity of your space. How has athletics factored into that journey? What lessons have you relied on most as you've navigated this professional career? Man, I would say hard work is something that transcends like all fields, right? So if you work hard on the pitch or on the field or you put in extra hours practicing or lifting weights or whatever, just in terms of the athletic side, that that also is the exact same thing for anything you do in the professional world. When I started out, I had a degree in, you know, broadcast journalism. I had done more TV and radio than really anyone in Nashville, but no one's going to just give you the best job. So I would wait tables and burn it bright at both ends and then sit in a radio studio from, you know, midnight to one o'clock board hopping live shows and stuff. Wouldn't sleep. And that's, there's no difference between putting in hard work on the field in the gym and putting in hard work in the real world. And I think that that's something that you can definitely learn from. Also, I think another good thing that I learned <clears throat> from playing college ball and stuff is there are two different types of people, two different types of athletes, or maybe there's mul mul multiple, but there are people who are leaders and then there are people who are not. You need both to be a successful sporting team for sure. Everyone can't be a leader because then no one would listen to anybody, but leaders of people are people I always gravitated towards because they can figure out how to talk to people in the correct way to motivate them to do the things that they need them to do to be able to win the game or whatever. And I definitely learned that playing ball in high school and in college. And I've been able to use it going forward with my career, which is just talking to people and getting them to do the thing that I want them to do, which is try to be as interesting as possible. So people give a crap about what they're watching or listening to on my shows. So those are two things I would say that correlate very well. Let's talk about that piece for a second. Collegiate soccer and high school soccer. I want to go all the way back as a youth. You grew up here on the peninsula, chose to go to Palma, and which is a very sports-centric school. And curious about, besides soccer, which we'll get into in a second, what other foundational athletics did you do before you dialed in on soccer and got to that? And what were the foundational lessons that you were able to take and then apply to that chase of hard work. I want to be a collegiate soccer player and I can do X, Y, and Z because of what I've learned from these other uh, endeavors. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if I think that I was the best soccer player uh, of all the things that I did growing up. I was a really good golfer as well. I played junior golf. I used to have to play against you guys uh, at Spyglass, which was didn't seem fair uh, as a home course. <laughs> That's still your home course, by the way? Absolutely. That's ridiculous. Uh, it is uh, by the way, if, 15 if kids, feet from my office door. If you have kids that listen to this, they're on the golf team, they all need to know that that is the best home course in all of high school sports. It actually probably, not probably, it is the best home course out of any high school or college institution. Okay. And I'm sure they understand that, but I don't think they really do until you become old and you want to get into golf again. And then you go back and you have to realize how much it costs to go place by. Here's a great add on to that. So when I was a junior and senior, I worked at the golf course on the range, right? In the, yeah. in the woods with the bag shag, picking balls, driving the picker. And my sister is a teaching pro and she spent her whole life trying to get me to play golf. And I was like, no, I'm a basketball player. This is what I do. And then had full access to the course and didn't play. 
And then, yeah. as you said, when you get to be an adult, you're looking at yourself, kicking yourself, going, what are you doing? You missed yeah. a huge opportunity. So take that if you're listening. If you have access to golf, especially when you're young, eat it up. Yeah, absolutely. And also golf's one of those things that helps you way down the road because guess what? If you're going to be a CEO or a, a big shot, you're gonna, half of your deals are going to happen on the golf course. And if you're going to be a CEO, you're going to be rich. And if you're going to be rich, you're going to be at a country club. And if you're at a country club that your wife is going to want to hang out at, and it's good to be a good, a good golfer. Anyways, I was a good golfer. I grew up on actually old Del Monte on nine and 10. I did the same thing you did in high school. I worked at Carmel Valley ranch as a bag boy and uh, range picker and all kind of stuff. Anyways, I was a good golfer, but not get to go to college. Good golfer. And I was also a good soccer player. And growing up, I played basketball and baseball, but I really honed it down to soccer and golf. And then when I went to college, I wasn't recruited by Ole Miss to play soccer. I wanted to go there because they had a good journalism department. And I was very much wanting to do broadcast journalism. And actually, the funny story about how I got into that was because of Stevenson. So they didn't have a radio program at Palma, which is where I went to school. Uh, but all my friends went to Stevenson. And so 91.9 KSBB Radio Stevenson. Dude, I remember everything about those days. And so my buddy Alex had a show. And so I was like, you got to let me come do this with you. I didn't go to Stevenson. I had no business being there, but somehow they let me come do it with my buddy, Alex. And Alex, what I think he did it and enjoyed doing the radio program, but not like me where I was like, like this is it. Like, this is so much fun. We can create different characters and be different people and, and tell people about cool stuff. And so that was like the whole genesis of me getting into Radio is really through Stevenson, even though I didn't go there. But anyways, I went to Ole Miss because of that whole wanting to get into broadcast journalism. When I got there, I realized I really did miss the team aspect, the camaraderie, and also just like the built-in staying in shape thing of sports. And that's something that you don't realize when you have a metabolism that doesn't quit in high school. But when you go to college and you start drinking frosty beverages, there's a thing called the freshman 15. That's a real thing. And I needed to figure out a way to keep trim. So I went and walked onto the soccer team and they weren't very good to be fair. <laughs> and my roommate, who's still my best friend today, Ryan Palacci, who actually I went to Palma with, we were the first two guys from Monterey to ever go to Old Miss, by the way. So we go there. Ryan was a stud athlete. He still is. He's one of the best fly halves at Palma. And I'm sure you guys know that Palma is very good at football. I was a DB and a wide receiver, but Ryan was one of the best athletes during our time. I'm playing soccer at Old Miss. He's playing rugby at Old Miss. And the rugby practices were after the soccer practice at Old Miss. And so I would play my, I'd, have soccer practice and then my best friend would come down and start playing rugby and and I would watch at first and I was just like I don't know who knows how to play rugby that's American that's I didn't know so I was just kind of learning and I was like oh man this is fun it's, that's like kind of a cross between it, the way that you see the field envision the fields like soccer but the way that you play it's like football it's much more fast-paced now here's the kicker Ole Miss rugby was very good they had Played for a national championship D2 the year beforehand, lost to Arkansas State. They were 3-0 and in that season that I was just watching and picking it all up. And I remember Ryan coming to me and he said, you should start playing rugby and stop playing soccer. The soccer team, you guys haven't won a game this season or last season, but I think we're going to really have a chance to compete for a national championship this year. And I said, okay, so I started playing both. 
I'd play soccer and then go over and play rugby. And I realized, so they let me, they let me join the rugby team. Rugby's weird because it's not governed by the NCAA. It's governed by a different body. And so they have, in, instead of in football, you have preseason. In rugby, you have a season that doesn't really count. They're called friendlies. It's like a very like European thing. So you just go play teams that really aren't in your division, but they're close and you get to work on some things. And then after that, then you have your real season. So the first game we played was a friendly against, I think it was Louisiana Tech. They had a good team. I played this position called winger, which was effectively, uh, I guess you could say like a wide receiver. The guy was like quick and fast. and was like the last person to get the ball that could score. The first time I played, someone got hurt and they came out. So they put me in. Ball started coming down the line and I got the ball. And the first time I touched the ball, I broke a tackle and I scored. And after that, I was like, this is what we're doing now. This is awesome. (laughs) Funny how success leads to commitment. Yeah. And I've scored a million goals in my life. And I never felt anything like breaking through a tackle and scoring a try. Like, it was just a different feeling. So anyways, so then I quit playing soccer and I just really focused on rugby. And I was rookie of the year that first year. The second year I was most improved because I went from basically playing wing and fullback to fly half, which is it's like your quarterback on the team. It's a, it's a very important part of rugby. And then that third year we played again for a national championship and we lost to Arkansas state again, who I think ended up going on and winning. But anyways, it was absolutely wonderful until I, I was playing in a friendly playing like men's club and I broke my leg really badly. And then I think that's when I was like, I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm not even college anymore. Like I'm not getting like credit for this. But anyways, I look back on those years and really loved it. And also the camaraderie of you know, you're all getting into those big 15 person passenger vans and driving all around the South and staying in hotel rooms and ice baths and hotel rooms. And, and also there's this really beautiful, wonderful camaraderie that, that happens in rugby because of, I feel like if it's really deep European roots that like after the game, you go and have drinks, you go get beers and, and burgers with the other team. Yeah. You guys are, it's all one thing. And that was a, that's a really cool you could blow someone up, crack their skull, and then 15 minutes later be singing like these like weird you know, European rugby songs with the guy that you would like knocked out of the game. And it was a cool time in my life. That's awesome. That's really funny. So two things on that. I want to go back to what you said about leadership. And I often talk to our athletes here and our coaches that sports are about learning to be part of something bigger than yourself and learning leadership and followership, right? Because as you said, you need both and you brought it up and how prevalent that is and how that has served you in your professional career. Are there specific lessons in leadership or in the case that you brought up followership, maybe when you're shifting to a new team that going through your industry, being a radio guy, then the podcast, then on TV, where you've been able to apply these lessons that very clearly point back to your athletic career, but also serve you as a professional. Yeah. And I don't know if for my career, I I think this became actually very helpful. So there are two types of interviews. There are more, but I always break it down to people that are like, what's it like to interview these famous musicians or actors or whatever. There are really two types of interviews that you have to deal with. There's the person who is the alpha, who's like 
takes over the room. We call them red light guys. Once they see that red light hit, they are the most on and wonderful interviews. And then there are the people that are like very subdued, the, the tortured musician. There's a lot of those people. There are these artists that are introverted. They're still interesting. And so the way that you have to go about conversing with them to get the most out of them goes back to the leadership, the leader of men or the followers of men. And so it doesn't take me very long to figure out what I'm dealing with. But if someone walks in and they are the alpha, like they're the red light guy, then I know I don't need to be leading this thing. I need to facilitate it, which I think someone like who is not the captain of a team does. I don't need to be shouting in the huddle, telling everyone what to do. I need to do the thing that the person that's shouting in the huddle wants me to do and do it well. And when you realize if you've got a red light guy, then it's, all right, let's get the ball rolling and let's continue it upon the path that you want it to go down to get the most out of it. And then a lot of times when I would have those tortured musicians that are really hard to get things out of, I would always say then, okay, the interview no longer is about you. It's about me. I need to make me interesting for you to let yourself come out. Because at the end of the day, if you're interviewing anyone or talking to anybody, an interview is just making someone feel very comfortable uh, with talking with them and getting them to be vulnerable and opening up. And so once you realize that you're talking to someone that like that, it's going to be harder, then you have to become like that quote unquote leader and take the interview over and trick them into feeling very comfortable about what they're talking to you about to get the most out of the interview. And so that's one thing that I've learned. I think it's really advantageous to figure out if you can do both, if you can be a strong leader type and also be like a strong follower type because they both become really helpful. And then I would assume, I'm not sure because I've never been in like a boardroom or whatnot, but I assume that those personalities obviously live in the business world. I'm sure CEOs or whatnot come in and they could be like super aggro type A leaders. And then you got to realize, all right, well, I need to like back off and just kind of placate this person. Or maybe not. Maybe you have some tech guy that comes in and he's a little shyer and you might need some help with motivation in the boardroom as well. And so I think if you can figure out the number one thing is you got to figure out in the first like three minutes what you need to do in that interview or whatever the thing is, and then pivot from there. And that's something that I definitely learned as a good athlete, work playing in competitive sports, and how I was able to pivot that over into, into my job in, in broadcasting, radio, and in TV. Would you say that the way you described the post-game celebratory or socialization of rugby helped that how would that networking component where i don't really know these guys but we just played and sweated on each other and made each other bleed so let's now go hang out how has that served that ability to maybe lean into some uncomfortable situations where you don't know anybody to develop relationships how has that helped play out throughout your career as a host yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I would say one, it would be, we've all been on the field and played against people we didn't like because it's built into the construct of the whole thing anyways. But you also like, no, I assume that, okay, hey, we're playing Alice Aller, but we're playing Carmel High and we know the running back at Carmel High is this kind of this badass. And, and you, you, I don't know, it's like that Michael Jordan thing. He's like, you're psyching yourself up to not like this person. 
or to like, I guess, help you lower the boom on them because you don't like them already. Now that might be great in high school football, but it's not super probably advantageous in the real world because you're going to have to run into those people down the road. So I would always try to keep in mind that because tempers can get heated, especially in rugby, people can really get hurt. But I would always have to remember that like down the road in two hours, I'm going to have to be hanging out with all these people. Mm -hmm. And I think how I learned the lesson was, is I remember we were playing, God, who was it? I think it was Georgia. And they had this one kid from, I think he was from Liverpool and he had the biggest mouth on him. And I was going up against him. He was a really good player. He was much better than I was. And he wouldn't stop yelling at me. He was such an ass. So much so that I remember yelling to their coach, someone, hey, coach, put a muzzle on this kid. He won't stop talking. And of course, co coach loved it because he knew it was getting in my head. Hated him, but he was so good. And then in the after party, I hung out with him and I loved him. He was the funniest guy in the room. He was awesome we became friends afterwards followed each other on this is back when it was just like just facebook became like buddies uh, i thought that was an interesting teachable moment where you, you could hate someone at one point and then you can love them you, i don't know maybe don't judge a book by the cover kind of a situation as it pertains to like your career generally you're going to run into the same people over and over again my thing is never burn a bridge it doesn't help it will never help you down the road. My other thing that I push a lot when it comes to the entertainment industry, but I assume it definitely works in the real world as well, is it's really hard to fire someone who is really easy to work with. And when I say easy to work with, like doesn't have negative energy when they come in the room, is always positive, always engaging with everybody else. I can't tell you how many radio rooms I've been in, radio studios I've been in, where you come across these people who are just jaded and angry. And it's so easy to cut them loose because they bring a bad energy into the workplace that needs to be positive. And I, I, going back to the original thing, if you're always mad at something, mad at this one person or can't stand them, then you're always bringing negative energy into if, if they're in that meeting or whatnot, that's not going to help you. And I'm telling you, it's so much easier to promote the guy that everyone likes. And it's so easy to fire the guy that everyone hates. And those two people might not be like the person everyone hates might be a much better, whatever radio DJ in my case, or host. And every boss is like, get those people out of here. They're not helping, you know, the greater good here. Yeah. On that, it's, what it brings up for me is a couple of different things. One, are you contributing or are you contaminating your environment? Are your, are your contributions greater than your problems, right? To quote yeah. Nick Saban there is an SEC guy that you may be familiar with. And the other thing is growing up around here, it's such a small area, all the guys you're playing against. You're probably going to have dinner or lunch or whatever after the game anyway. And your point of you're always going to run into that person. So you can get into it in the game, but having that animosity and that negativity afterwards is only going to hurt you because you might walk in and they're the ones hiring you. And if you've burned that bridge, now for what purpose? So that you can get a one up on them in the game or whatever. So I think it's really valuable information, even in the work life, in the professional space, be courteous, have great energy. You don't have to like the person, but respect that everybody's trying to do the same thing. And I think really cool connection that you're able to make there. I wanted to also go back to the idea of being able to fit in, right? So I go from soccer to rugby. I'm trying to figure this game out. They have me playing this position. Then I'm playing this position. 
And this idea of role definition and what you are being asked to carry at any particular time, right? In your case, I am a host of X. Now I am the bartender on this show and I need to excel in this role, even though I may want to be doing this. How have you seen that play out and how have you found success in that space? And maybe are there a couple of failures when you or maybe somebody you've been observing couldn't understand how to be great at the role they're in versus the one that they want? Yeah, I think we all fall into this trap, at least I do a lot, where I always think that I deserve more than I have. I can't believe that I'm not the host of Jimmy Kimmel Live now. Like, all those things. And, and I think that it's, and I think we're all going to come into contact with these things of, I should be the CEO of this company. I should be the, I should be the captain of the football team or whatever. But I think you have to pay your dues along the way. And when you do that and start in, incrementally moving up, you get to the thing that you want to get to. And in, by doing so, you've learned so many valuable lessons that actually make you qualified for the thing that you want even though in your mind you thought you were qualified long ago, but you weren't. For me, it's going back into like my radio days. I wanted to be the morning show host, but obviously they wouldn't let me be the morning show host because I was just out of college and I'd never been a morning show host, even that's what I wanted. So what did I do? I had, the first thing I had to do was go learn the board, which was a different board than the one that I had at, at Ole Miss. And I had learned the technicality of all that kind of stuff. Now, all along the way, I'm doing it at midnight for a show that I knew no one was listening to. I wasn't even getting to talk. I was just a board op on it. I was just basically a, a, a monkey pushing buttons and stuff. But I had to learn that. And then after that, I created a show called The 615, which was this local show, which made me have to learn all the local bands and local artists in town. And in doing so, I got like a little bit of airtime, but it made me do all this homework on what was happening locally. Then after that, I got to do the afternoon show, which made it so I had to take a lot more music meetings, which means I had to deal with a lot more label reps and those label reps really facilitate a lot of other things in terms of promotions oh we get to do a meet and greet with need to breathe for the show this is very important the fans are going to love this also i have to talk about that thing on the radio to get people to go to the show because now we're tied to the show and then from there i got to go to the morning show now i could never have done the morning show if i hadn't done all those things because uh morning show it's just you hosting the entire thing. So you need to be really good at board hopping. It's a lot of pushing buttons. You're going to a lot of people live and there's a lot of moving parts. If I hadn't done that first thing, I would have never been able to do that last thing. In terms of promotion, when I was talking to all those label reps, if you want to get really good guests in your show, you got to scratch other people's backs to get them to come on your show. All those little things led me to the thing that I wanted that I thought I deserved and I didn't because I needed to do all the work getting there. And also, of course, along the way, I had an amazing time and I wouldn't change it for the world. But when you're young, you're stupid and you think that the world owes you something. And as I've gotten uh, older, I realize it doesn't owe you anything. And the only way to get to the top is hard work. Absolutely. I was listening to something over the weekend and the guest or the host actually said they have a sign in their house that's on the wall that says, nobody owes you anything. And I was like, I'm putting that up in my house. But yeah, I did. A, I did an interview with this kind of very popular podcast called The Lady Gang. And they had a similar sign that I have in my studio here. And it says, so be so good. They can't ignore you. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yep. No, absolutely. How did you jump from radio to TV? What's the difference 
in those two spaces and what are things that are translatable and what are things that are definitely not that you had to pick up a new skill set to find success? Okay. So the way that I made the jump was I was doing a morning show and I had an intern that was like a pseudo co-host that would give me the rundown on like bad reality television. And so she would explain to me what was happening with The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and I wouldn't understand it, but I thought it was hilarious. And also people loved this like one bit. I was also doing a thing where I would audition for like bad commercials. Like I remember I did a meow mix one and I, the, I didn't have a line, but I went meow. And so the morning show bit was me going back and forth with this intern, like going over the lines, but the line was just me meowing. And then I go to it and then I was intentionally bad because what I wanted was the bit to be funny the next day when she was like, did you get the Meow Mix commercial? And I, of course, inevitably did not. And then it's like, how do you not get this commercial when all you have to say is Meow? And that was the bit. So then the, the Bachelorette was doing auditions in Nashville and my intern was like, you need to go do this. This would be the best one because the Bachelorette is much more popular than Meow Mix commercials. And how funny it would be if, if like you were too much of a, I don't know, idiot or whatever to get on that show. And so I was like, that's really funny. Let's go do that. And it was completely a radio bit. And then because I went in there, like really relaxed because I didn't really care to get on the show. They loved me. Cause I was just like, so, I don't know. I, I guess I came in there with an air of, with like ease that a lot of people, I think when they go into any interview, go in with a lot of tension. And that's also like super tangible and visible. Yeah, people can tell if you're nervous or anxious or, or freaking out. And if you can come in and set everyone's mood to, to, to chill mode, it's helpful. That's not to say don't take things seriously, but, but I, I found that especially in interviews and stuff, if you come in with a certain energy, that energy gets put back to you. Anyways, they basically cast me on the spot. And then I went and did the show. I didn't think I had any like visions of grandeur that I was going to get married to this girl on this show, but you know, how fun it was to like travel around the world and experience things that I never experienced and meet people I would never meet elsewhere. And then also, of course, in my mind, I was thinking this is going to have uh, such great impact on my radio career. I'm going to be able to tell this story to so many people on the air and they're going to be like blown away. And then when the, like the bartending gig in paradise came about was, it was very evident that I was the best like on camera guy because I came from this radio world and going back to, I, I mentioned like there are types of people, there are people who are followers and then there are leaders and leaders are red light guys. And I very much am a red light guy. Like the second that thing turns on, but also like I literally was a red light guy, like doing that on air radio thing. It's, it's a red, it's a real red light would go on. You'd have to be on. <clears throat> and in TV, they love that with me because I didn't need to do extra takes of things. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't come from a world where I got to redo my radio bit. Like it had to hit the punchline had to kill. I had to get into my, into my segues the right way. I had to preview the things I needed and I needed to do all the, all those things that needed to ha happen needed to be done in the 30 second soundbite. Well, television loves that. And, and that's why a lot of radio people end up doing really well on television. Ryan Seacrest is a good example of that. And so they were like, dude, you are perfect for this thing. Let's see how it works. And I also came from a, a world where I interviewed a lot of people and the bartender role. Yes, I make drinks for people on the beach, but really all I'm doing is I'm asking questions 
to try to evoke emotion from these people who are dating all these other pretty people on this kind of silly beach in Mexico. And so all those things really came together and coalesced to make this kind of perfect storm for me. The difference between radio and television for me is radio, there's only one try, whereas in television, if things aren't right, you redo it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you set it back up and there's just a lot more hurry up and wait in television because you have to get the writing light. You got to get the sound right. Multiple people need to come in and hit their marks the correct way. And now obviously with reality, it's a little different because you're just like filming reality. But when you go and you watch those shows and interviews of them sitting down and talking about the date they went on or whatever funny thing happened, if it's not said the right way or the maybe the funniest way or maybe the most emotionally kind of emotive way, then they can do it again. And that's something that I never experienced in radio. And that made me even better because I was like, wait, I get to try this again? Really? Those are the kind of differences. And then obviously I did a lot of stuff with E doing red carpet hosting stuff on for the Oscars and for the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and the Grammys and stuff. And me being really good at talking with people really obviously helps in that world because you got to figure out, am I talking to Chris Evans, who's a red light guy? Well, then, all right, I don't need to say much. I need to say, hey man, how are you? What's going on? Boom, he'll do 15 minutes for me. But then you'll come across a musician or whatnot that doesn't really want to be there and thinks it's all BS that he's having to sit on this red carpet and take pictures and talk. And then it's like, all right, man, can you believe I did? that's Chris? That's Chris Evans is right there, dude. Are you a Marvel fan? Oh man, I'm a huge Marvel fan. Oh, got him. All right. You know, gotta, when you got to pivot around and figure out who you're dealing with and, uh, and how to talk to them. And so, yeah, those are kind of the difference between TV and, and radio, but they're very similar. Yeah, that's great. I got two more questions. One, as an athlete, we fall on our face a lot. And in a sport like soccer, there's not a lot of scoring, right? There's a lot of playing and sometimes you get a goal, sometimes it's zero, zero. And it's people somehow are fascinated by this and it's super exciting. But the idea of failure and resilience and how you bounce back and, and what do you do with those as lessons, right? You win or you learn and, and, and what are you going to do next or the next time to be better? Are there any failures that you've had on your journey here professionally that have stuck with you and allowed you to grow in a way that has then delivered success? Okay, so you might actually, as a coach, not love this answer that I'm going to give you, but it's one that's really helped me. I'm delusional to a fault. It's a thing that has made, I don't know if it's, it's an internal ego thing, but it's something that I've been able to use that has really helped my success. And it went, goes back to when I played soccer or rugby, if we would lose, well, then I would be delusional and be like, yeah, but do you remember that one play I did? And that was awesome. Like, don't forget like, that was badass. Even though, yeah, we lost and whatever they had, they had that, those two guys from Australia, that doesn't seem fair, whatever. I'm delusional about the, the win or the failure. Or when it came to my TV or radio career, I, a lot of auditions, I would be like, I didn't get it, but I didn't get it because I wasn't the best. I, I didn't get it because they're looking for a blonde guy and I'm not that. And so that's obviously why. But like I did a really good job and I came in there and I, and I think if I was a blonde guy, like I, I totally would have probably gotten that part or that role or whatever. And I guess it's like a weird way of staying like super positive about yourself and perpetuating positivity. I'm like a big energy dude. I think if you put all that kind of stuff out there, it comes back at you. If you're always angry and always mad and always like resentful of everybody else, mm -hmm. it just comes right back at you and doesn't help you. No, I love that. Jalen Rose talks about it all the time. He calls it irrational confidence. And it sounds yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that has served you well. And there's actually a segment now on the uh, the NBA 
breakdown show or the irrational confidence guy of the week. Uh, <laughs> what they're doing. So it's pretty funny if you haven't caught it. The last one. Yeah. I heard this on another pod, a leadership podcast, and I was out riding my bike out in Carmel Valley and heard this question asked and literally stopped my bike and replayed it because I wasn't sure I heard it the right way. And I was so fascinated. I got back home, walked in the kitchen, and then just dropped this on my daughter and my wife. And it was, what have you most recently changed your mind on? And I was like, whoa, that's so fascinating. How often do we think about that? And the answer is pretty irrelevant. But the concept of being open-minded to shift and change and, and see other perspectives and then apply that in a different way. So I'm always wondering on a daily basis with myself and then people I talk to, but are there things that, hey, I was over here and now I'm over here and here's why. I think uh, this isn't a political podcast, getting the weeds there, but I do think that being flexible with political beliefs is a healthy thing. I think a lot of us get stuck in our own little echo chamber. I think we're in the times right now where it's just at us always. And I don't think it's super healthy to not be able to change your mind about things and to listen to both sides and, and rationally break things down and come up with your own opinion. That one for sure. That's such a good question, actually. I, it's not that I have to change my mind about it. I think it's something that I have to like constantly remind myself. I do a lot of interviews where I want to say names, name names, but like I do a lot of interviews where I'm like, this is a dumb interview. Like, I don't think people are going to be interested in this conversation. I don't think that this is going to be compelling. This isn't going to move the needle for me. This isn't going to make me more money, but I could begrudgingly do that. And I swear to God, inevitably, those are always the best interviews. They've always got the most important story. They've always got like the story that like makes me cry in the middle. It makes me super empowered at the end. And that's something that like, I guess I need to change my mind about it and just stop thinking that way because there's value in everything. It's just like the prism of which you see it needs to be maybe refocused every once in a while. And yeah, that's, I need, that's just something I just need to work on. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And something that was said to me six, seven years ago, I was at this camp with my daughter and the first day they just described, they're like, hey, I know you're looking to the left, you're looking at the right, trying to size people up. And let me tell you right now, drop your comparisons, drop your expectations, mm -hmm. let this thing happen and you're going to be a whole lot happier. And I think that's similar to what you're saying, right? Is, hey, I just need to be here and, and hold space and, and be present and see what I can learn. And, and then we'll see where it goes. And those end up usually being the best ones. So love that answer. Appreciate you taking the time and, and telling me how this whole thing works as I'm trying to get into this space and do a better job hosting. Appreciate you being here. Absolutely, man. This is a blast. I enjoyed it. And I'm going to I'm be up in, in the Monterey area soon. So we got to go and, uh, and hang out. Absolutely. Hey, where if people want to get in and listen to your pod and everything you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, the social media route is usually the easiest. It's at Wells Adams on every platform, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. And then wherever you get um, podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it's all there. My first one's called YFT Podcast. It stands for Your Favorite Thing with Wells and Brandy. And then my other one's called The Wells Cast. But there's a link tree in all my social medias that can send you all those places. And then... Yep, I'll be on your TV again come August for uh, Bachelor in Paradise 7. We'll see you there. And now that things are opening back up, I'm sure I'll be doing a lot more red carpet stuff. So I'll be all over your TV. So <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. And when you get back to God's country here, we'll definitely connect and maybe try to sneak out on one of the golf courses. Absolutely, man.
Why Sports is brought to you by the Canning Properties Group, the number one real estate team in Pebble Beach and Carmel, California, specializing in ocean and golf front properties for 35 years. If you're looking for a seasonal getaway or interested in moving here full time, head to canningproperties.com backslash Sports, and they will dial up a search just for you. Hi, this is Natasha McKill, recreational tennis player at the club at Pasadena and labor and delivery nurse. Ever feeling tired after a long day at work or after tough practice? Try Element. That's L-M-N-T for the energy you're missing in your life. It's sugar-free and filled with electrolytes your body needs for energizing power. Try it risk-free, money-back guarantee, with our special offer at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash Justin Climo. You only pay the shipping. What's there to lose? Power up! The Cypress Grove Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on a special occasion. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard, sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and the Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations from every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. In addition, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful, the wines are great, and you're supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And give Y Sports and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.